You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Welcome, Burley Church Online. It's it's great to see you. Um, actually, I can't see you, but it's it's great to be with you in this way. And uh, we're continuing, continuing again through this Leviticus series. And so let's let's continue. I um, have some definitions that I want to talk to you about first. Uh, I don't know if you know, but the word nice, which is a nice word to use, used to mean originally silly, foolish, or simple. When someone was nice, you were saying they were foolish uh, originally, but over time, the word nice has changed. Funny that we use the word silly because silly used to mean vulnerable and weak. Um, and so someone that might be vulnerable or doing it tough, they were silly, has now meant has now become meaning foolish over time. And probably one of my favorite words that has changed is the word fathom. When people say, I can't even fathom it, actually meant used to mean this, your arms, used to, this was a fathom. But of course, people probably went, I can't even fathom it. And eventually fathom became something that we don't quite understand. But why do I say that? Um, not just for random facts, but I wanted to point out that things sometimes change over time. They evolve or they even de-evolve, they deform. Words can change meaning, lose meaning. And so a reason I point that out is that this is exactly the reason that I wanted to explore this series in Leviticus, um, to go back to look at this ancient book and the ways of Yahweh and what he embedded in this community so that we can explore what it looked like to live in these ancient times, in these ancient ways, in this ancient tribe, and hopefully better understand the church today and look at the ways of Jesus and how he asked the church to live and how we can live. And just going back to those original words, sometimes it's hard because you go back three and a half thousand years and context is different. But still, there's some incredible wisdom in these early writings. And so knowing that time has moved, society and ideas have changed, but there's still some deep God-led rhythms that can be called out into a community. And it's right through this book. And so my encouragement through this series for you is in reading this, please dig into these deeper rhythms. Reflect on God's character and reflect on what it means for you today to play out these deep rhythms of Yahweh. And um, yeah, so we're going to have a look in Leviticus 16, 17. So we've probably only got three or four more of these and we have completed this teaching, this exploration of Leviticus. So let's continue. Uh, But reminding us of the context, we have a group of slaves that have been giving this truth and this rhythm around God. They've been rescued. Uh, He's provided for them. He's given them a way. He's set rituals and ways to help them remember Um, their rescue and their forgiveness. He's given them priests to lead them. He's given them days of atonement uh, to help them remember their identity and the forgiveness they have. And then um, we finally enter this final part in Leviticus 17, um, living in this freedom and the kind of these rules around living in these ancient ways. Let me read. Leviticus 17, the Lord said to Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites and say to them that this is what the Lord has commanded. Notice this, speak to Aaron and his sons. So we've talked about the priest, but he instantly is now taking it to everyone. This has gone a bit wider now. We've slowly gone through Moses, some laws for the people, but through Moses. 
Then we've gone to this priest, this group of people, and now we're kind of going a bit broader. This is stuff that everyone should be involved in. This is what the Lord has commanded. Any Israelite who sacrifices an ox, a lamb, or a goat in the camp or outside of it, instead of bringing it to the entrance to the tent of meeting to present it as an offering to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, that person shall be considered guilty of bloodshed. They have shed blood and must be cut off from their people. This is so the Israelites will bring to the Lord the sacrifices they are now making in the open fields. They must bring to them to the priest, that is, to the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting and sacrifice them as a fellowship offering. The priest is to splash the blood against the altar of the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting and burn the fat as an aroma pleasing to God. Let me continue down to Leviticus 17.8. Say to them, any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to sacrifice it to the Lord, sacrifice it to the Lord must be cut off from the people of Israel. I will set my face against any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who eats blood and I will cut them off from the people. For the life of a creature is in its blood and I will given and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore I say to the Israelite, none of you may eat blood, nor may any foreigner residing among you eat blood. Continuing down to 13. Any Israelite or any foreigner residing among you hunts any animal or bird that may be eaten must drain out the blood and cover it with earth because the life of every creature is in its blood. This is why I've said to the Israelites, you must not eat any blood of any creature because the life of the creature is in its blood. Anyone who eats it must be cut off. Anyone, whether native born or foreigner, who eats anything found dead or torn by wild animals must wash their clothes and bathe with water. Let me keep going down. So anyone that's journeyed with us so far knows um, this is regular Leviticus, blood, guts, repetition. And so it might seem silly at first today as we talk about this idea of do not drink or do not bathe in blood. Um, And that does seem like some stuff that three and a half thousand year old tribes were exploring and may feel like it's not in context for you. But as per normal, there is some incredible deep truths. Because this stuff does seem crazy to us. Um, I mean, 70 years ago, um, only 70 years ago, doctors were telling people that cigarettes were good for their health. And so to go back three and a half thousand years ago and look at what they're talking about, you can see how much time has changed. Things move forward. But there's still something very profound found here in Leviticus 17. This, This is declaration that's given to all the tribes about where they're sacrificing animals, how they're sacrificing animals, and what they're doing with the blood. So let's 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 dive in to the actual story that's being told here. You see, Leviticus 17 tells a classic story as old as time. God offers this holy, sacred ceremony of forgiveness. He offers it in a way that is safe, that is not over mass produced. It's a certain animal gets killed in a certain time in a certain way. It's actually quite beautiful. And the aroma allows the people there to know things are good with God, that he is good with them, that he, he lives with them. His presence is in their tribe, in their community. 
It's these rhythms of gratitude and grace and repentance. It's sacred and good. We have similar rhythms in the modern day church around the cross, remembering as Jesus' sacrifice that fulfilled that sacrifice that is grace-filled, that forgives us, that we refresh and remind ourselves whenever we can of this good news. And what do humans do anytime something is good? <laughs> oh, we squeeze the thing out of it. So these, these people <laughs> have gone, hey, that was a good day, the day of atonement where we sacrificed that lamb and we were forgiven. How fun was that? Imagine if we did that every day. If God forgives us with one animal killed, why don't we start killing animals all the time? Imagine what we'll get then. And so classic humans, we go and start sacrificing animals in the backyard. We go and start sacrificing animals. And then we've realized there's power in the blood, right? There's something sacred and holy about the blood. And so we're like, imagine if we didn't just sprinkle the blood on the altar. Imagine if we started drinking the blood. What type of powers or what type of thing could we leverage God to do then? Do you know what? Let's take it one step further. Let's start bathing in the blood. And then imagine what God will do then. Imagine what type of thing we will squeeze out of creation, squeeze out of God if we start just mass culling animals. <laughs> How quick humans want to exploit, mass produce, obsess over the ritual and forget the very reason God asked them to do it. How quickly do we turn a call to be a people who love God and each other into a way to mass produce or to have our say and our opinions, our ways, to make it about us? Three and a half thousand years later, we have 45,000 different denominations, all with our obsession of our own rituals, our own ways of doing things, our own code. We're obsessed with <laughs> making it our playlist, my iPhone, <laughs> my way, my ritual now, my sacrifice in the backyard, my process of drinking the blood. We're obsessed with bending God to our will, exploiting him, forgetting that these people had been taught that animal sacrifice was something that cost something. God at no point asked them to open some sort of KFC where they mass-produced these, killed these animals. Do you know what? Leviticus gets a heap of heat from people that don't read it properly and don't read the context as how dare a, a God tell people to kill animals. Seriously. Killing animals in this humane, sacred way is so much more progressive than what we see at drive-thrus in a mass production of eggs and chickens and animals in our world currently. This is a holy ceremony that has deep change for that community. This isn't a neat party trick. This is animals' lives. These are death is part of creation. This is this is not a means to an end. This is a holy ceremony. This is a story. And a lesson for us to remind us that God isn't a tool for our own glory. He's not our genie. He's not our butler. He's not our servant. He's not a way to claim things. Start doing home sacrifices. 
So two invitations I'd like to explore today out of this chapter in 17. The first invitation is one, God's family is a calling to simple and sacred, or God's family is a calling to the simple and sacred. As we follow Jesus, let us be careful not to run ahead. Let's be careful not to treat the grace, the forgiveness, the love as a marketable product. It's not cheap grace as we reflected last or a couple of weeks ago. It came at a cost. It needs no salesman. It just needs you to witness to it and witness for it, which means you can suck, you can be imperfect, but let people see God work through your suckiness. Again, broken record, but it's a move away from the lights and the sounds, the buzz and the numbers. It's about God and each other. It's not about getting the bull and quickly sacrificing a front porch to get more to squeeze more out of this. Getting a heap of mates around trying to drink the blood, hoping it'll give you even more. No, God has already called these people to a beautiful simple and sacred life with him. That's good. It's a good life. So don't hear me saying small, though. I'm saying simple and sacred, but I'm not saying small. God is big. (laughs) God can do more than we could imagine. But God will do what he imagines. That's the point. It's God's imagination. It's God's will. It's God's kingdom. So whether it's a million people, it's three, God is still big and God is still with those people. Simple and sacred. So how does this apply to me, though, if I reflect on God's communities about the simple and sacred? Well, here's a picture for you. This is a picture of my, didn't make this up, just quickly got a quick screenshot of my current computer tabs along the top. (laughs) It's not evil to have that many tabs open. But as I reflect about this, as I looked at these tabs across here, as I see these guys just trying to squeeze the most out of life in Leviticus 17, like it's some commodity to mine out of God, I felt like God said to me as I looked at these tabs, come down, Steve. There's no way you're doing that much work. <laughs> There's no way you've got your capacity to be have that many tabs open and to be doing that many projects. Calm down. (laughs) I literally felt this phrase as I prepared this message and looked at all these things open. Calm down, Steve. Just do one tab at a time. You only need me and what I've asked you to do today. Close them all down and do one thing at a time. (laughs) Simple and sacred. Don't need to squeeze the life out of everything. God has called us to some beautiful things, beautiful reminders. But the work is finished. Jesus finished on the cross. We don't need to re-sacrifice him again. We don't need to hype it up again. It's already profound. It's already incredible. We just need to remember it, lean into it, and be activated out of that, following Jesus, not running ahead, a calling to the simple and sacred. Number two, I can learn out of Leviticus 17, I feel like applies to us today, is God's family, his family rhythm has a high and holy view of life. God's heart is clear here in this passage. Life is precious. God is actually super progressive here. He's talking about animals' life. If there was ever a Bible verse for your vegan or vegetarian friend to hang on to, 
It could be this. This clearly shows, and I'm not a vegetarian or vegan, I'm just saying, this clearly shows God cares about animals. He cares about creation. They're not there for our exploitation. God is almost apologetic in this verse saying, look, we don't really want to kill creation and spill all its blood. But there is a need here. There is a simple and sacred rhythm. And, of course, there is food. But let's calm down beyond that. It's still sacred. And this also expands to human life, of course, even more. Life is upheld as God carefully instructs his people to consider all life and its worth. This is one of the fundamentals of a Jesus-following family of God is that we care about life. You know, as I read this, I can't help but reflect. And I know it's a, it, like a controversial topic, but I can't help but reflect on the way our world practices abortion. I can't help think about the way it views life. Does it view, does it understand, does the church understand the sacredness of that life? But, I mean, that's an easy one. Like, not an easy topic to fix, but an easy one to consider because it may not be us directly. The flip side of that is I can't help but also think about foster care, the homeless, elderly in homes. As Christians, are we valuing those lives, holding them up high as well? And then on the third thing I'm challenged with is I think about life in my home. Am I distracted trying to squeeze stuff out of life, trying to keep all my tabs open, trying to sacrifice some cows around the back to get more out of God when some afternoons I need to come home and play with my kids, spend time with my wife? Kids are young. Am I too busy trying to drink blood, trying to I don't know, build my empire to realize Everything profound is waiting for me in the, in the playroom to play some Lego with them. Everything that is simple and sacred and blessed I've been given is waiting for me to go watch them on the swings. Trying to squeeze everything out of life instead of realizing what's at home and what's already been given and the sacredness of that life. There is time for work, don't get me wrong. This is not a sermon about being lazy. There's time for provision. There's time for ambition, holy ambition. But let's make sure it's God's timing in God's way, God-led. For those, let, let us consider these deeper things. Yes, the life of unborn baby, but also the thousands, if not more, across our own country of kids that don't have homes they're in, stuck in a foster care system. Who's valuing their life? Should it be us? And then our life of our people at home, our elderly parents, who's valuing their life? Who's seeing them? Who's visiting them? Life is precious. It's a gift. And in the family of God, one of the things he has always held up through creation is it is sacred. It's about being with God and each other. A lot to consider in these two verses. Who would have thought? A passage about drinking blood has something profound to say to us today. So here are three questions to just take with you this week. One, what things do I, you, do I hold on to as essentials of a Christian community? Are they God's essentials? So the things that you think should be here, 
things that you've made complex, the things that you think every church or your family or you do ritually that you think is important, measure them up against God. Are they things that God has asked you to do? Are they his essentials? For Leviticus people, they thought sacrificing the animal was the essential thing. And so they started doing it everywhere. They missed the point. The point was God's forgiveness. The point was God's redemption. The point was God's presence in the community through that sacred and simple ceremony. Not the blood and trying to drink it and bathe in it. What have you made extra that's not essential? Good question to ask yourself. Is there things in your life that God is asking you to follow in instead of running ahead? Are things in life you're like, thanks God, I got it, I'm going. He's like, a while back, one step at a time behind me. Follow me. What's that look like for you? Discuss this with your uh, small groups, your small tables. And number three, how do I live out of the sacredness of life in my daily walk and community? What's it look like to value the life of the people in my office? What's it look like to value the people my neighbor's life? What's it look like to value life as I walk and, and witness to and protect what is holy? A couple of questions to consider. I'm going to pray and I'll leave you with that and we'll see you, see you next time. Father God, thank you so much that in what is a seemingly an ancient story about not drinking and bathing in blood actually shows a human heart for exploitation, for trying to be busy, for trying to hustle all the time. Father, those things are not always needed. In fact, only one thing is needed, as you said. It's you. And so, Father, call us back to the simple and sacred. Not the small, but the profound, simple and sacred things that you've asked us to do. And secondly, Lord, let us call us back to thinking about the value of life and how we as priests of today as discussed witness to that and protect that. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. See you soon.